0: It is a beautiful Saturday morning in the District of Columbia right now. It is Saturday, March 20th, 2021, of course. Uh, To the best of my knowledge, Nick and I have both finished midterms. Uh, I hope those went well for you.
1: Um, I'm going to be very honest. I kind of had a light dosage on the midterms
0: just like Nick said we were all incredibly busy and studying very hard to pass all of our classes (laughs) I didn't have a lot of midterms (laughs) well I I certainly did and I've been doing some uh some stuff in the background as well so it's not like I'm like I'm taking time off but it is it is time to record uh more episodes and we had the happy one last time with uh positive advances on climate change we are now going to talk about
1: Something not so positive.
0: Yeah. Uh, Armenia and Azerbaijan and ethnic cleansing, potentially. Likely in the past. Yeah. Very likely in the past. Um, So, things have been a mess in this region since 1991, I think it's fair to say. I, yeah.
1: Yeah. Um... What year did the, well, I mean, you're the one who did the research for this. So, mm-hmm. what year did the Nagorno Karabakh conflict uh, start? I mean, effect- yeah,
0: effectively immediately when the Soviet Union broke up. Right. Uh, there, was, there was Soviet-administrated Nagorno Karabakh. Uh, and as both Soviet socialist republics, they didn't have the capacity to go to war uh, against each other. I mean, ethnic conflict was. Largely decreased, obviously, once you had the removal of the, of the Soviet might that quickly uh, inflamed again. So the Soviets, I guess, did not tamp down on that uh, conflict as much as they thought they had.
1: Surprise. You just repressed feelings of rage for 80 years and then they'll surface back up. Hmm. Amazing.
0: Uh, it should also be noted that this con- uh, conflict goes back. Yeah, like you said, eighty years uh, to the uh, Ar- Armenian genocide that we can we can label as a genocide. I think we can comfortably label it a genocide. Yes, I mean <laughs> you you don't necessarily want to touch on the most contentious and least evidenced uh, aspects of this discussion, but history is history is pretty clear at this point. Yep. All right, so you have the Uh, Nagorno-Karabakh being divided into uh, Armenian-Azerbaijani, Christian and Muslim uh, segments. Uh, You then had that brutal war in 1991, where you had the uh, Nagorno-Karabakh forces fighting against Azerbaijan. They were losing until Armenia stepped in. Armenia effectively forced Azerbaijan to sue for peace. And then the, the fault lines are basically drawn, and there hadn't been a f- full-scale war until well recently. this time again. Yes, and uh, how many?
1: I'm curious. How, how many um how many Ar- Azerbaijanis you know were um. Ethnically cleansed in the was it ninety not ninety one to ninety four I believe how long that conflict lasted uh, it was not it was not pretty uh, let's be very clear there were atrocities on both sides this was not like no one comes out looking good with this
0: yes um so the the easy answer I would say is tens of thousands I can try to find a specific figure but the Yeah, I mean, the the moral of the story is that when uh, Armenia won, they raised mosques, uh, set up their own uh, situation. And when Armenia won, or when Azerbaijan won this time, Armenia preemptively (laughs) did the same. uh, When when there were Armenian civilians fleeing areas in Nagorno-Karabakh, they burned down their homes before they left. Uh, I mean, at this time, 30,000 Armenians left uh, Shusha or Shushi, uh, depending on how you, on which side you're on, how you want to call it. The oh. withdrawal itself was a mess. Uh, so our, Armenia and the Karabakh Defense Forces and the Armenian military were effectively integrated at this point. So the, the text of the agreement said that uh, the peacekeeping forces of the Russian Federation should be deployed concurrently with the withdrawal of Armenian troops. Uh, and then the obvious question is, well, what does concurrently mean and withdrawn to where? Armenia would tell you that they're being withdrawn to Armenian-controlled Nagorno-Karabakh. And Azerbaijan would tell you they're being withdrawn to the uh, like, Armenia proper. Armenia, right, Armenia proper.
1: Well, most of Nagorno-Karabakh, if I understand it now, is under Arme- uh, not Armenian Azerbaijani control, I believe.
0: Yes, or, so the uh, Carnegie Europe actually put out a very good map for anyone who, or apologies, Eurasianet, who then Carnegie Europe used their uh, graphic, put out a very good map. So you have Azerbaijan, who's on the Uh, East of Armenia on the the edge of the country, which is the Caspian Sea. And then you have landlocked Armenia with Nagorno Karabakh in the uh, between the two to the south. Uh, So the capital of Nagorno Karabakh is uh, uh, Stepanakert. Yes, Stepanakert, yeah. Yes, which is controlled uh, still by Armenia, Nagorno Karabakh, depending on how you want to describe it. However, uh, Azerbaijan has captured a lot of the territory of Nagorno-Karabakh including uh, Kelbajar right. uh, and Shusha and the cost of winning the war uh, was, was dragging on Azerbaijan they probably could have conquered the entire territory had they decided to yep, easily but there would have been diplomatic and military costs associated with that, and there was strong pressure from the organizations for security and Co- cooperation in Europe, which is co-chaired by uh, <clears throat> the U.S., Russia, and France. Correct? France. Yes. Yeah. Nailed it. Sorry, it's it's hard to keep all these things on the on the exact top of your head. Well, so
1: there's an interesting aspect here, too, uh, that got thrown (laughs) thrown around a lot when this conflict was happening. Um, I mean, let's face it, it still technically is happening, uh, I guess. Um, uh, Those are two organizations, uh, one of whom we've already talked about on this podcast. Uh, One is NATO, and the other one is CSTO, Armenia being a CSTO member and then Turkey being a NATO member, obviously backs Azerbaijan. And I think part of what makes this, especially this latest round of fighting unique is actually what happened a couple years before the fighting uh, specifically in Armenia. With, I believe, the Velvet Revolution is what the Armenians were calling it in March 2018, April 2018, around that time. Uh, The current Prime Minister of Armenia, Nikol Pashinyan, uh, was basically swept into office uh, under a more, I don't know if you would necessarily say pro-West, but definitely pro-reformist agenda, coalition for his party. Uh, And since then, Russia has felt uh, that Armenia was slipping out of its sphere of influence and in a way uh, not helping or aiding Armenia in any meaningful way. Uh, You know, I mean, Russia has a couple bases in Armenia, um, but basically not helping Armenia in any meaningful way would lead to a political crisis in Yerevan, which would topple Pashinian and possibly uh, usher in a, another mm, pro-Russian uh, government. So in a way it was like, uh, you know, the, the Azerbaijani offensive, well, not necessarily playing directly into Russia's interest, but basically became a, a very cynical uh, thing that you know, basically the 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 worse the worse it got for our for Armenia, the Kremlin knew that it wouldn't have more leverage.
0: Yeah, I mean, Russia was definitely looking for uh, leverage in uh, this region of the world. Uh, you also have uh, Georgia, who you may speak on more. And Georgia is definitely uh, pro-Western, much much more so than even Armenia, who I, I think it's fair to say that for that region of the world, uh, Georgia was, sorry. Armenia. Uh, that, that Armenia was uh, heading towards the West, Georgia even more so. Russia is looking to build uh, roads and transit links, uh, which is actually part of the reason why. Uh, I mean, Besides, for humanitarian considerations, that Russia has taken on a peacekeeper role in the conflict. Yes. Uh, with our within Azerbaijan, there was uh, strong demands for Ali Asadov to win the entire uh, war, capture uh, Stepanakert. Yeah, capture Stepanakert. Yeah, and and you
1: know. Uh, bring back what they see rightfully as, uh, as the uh, is their, <laughs> what they see rightfully as Azeri territory. Um, yeah. Which again, this is what I keep stressing, that plays in, I mean, it's fundamentally at odds with what Moscow wants in the region, of course. But fundamentally, it also can help it can help Moscow's influence in Yerevan because Pashinyan has never been close to Vladimir Putin. No, he is not. And essentially, if if you create a political crisis where Pashinyan, because you, you know, if if you lose, if if the Armenians lose Nagorno-Karabakh, like that's a huge PR blow for Pashinyan, because you know, like. What Armenians are just gonna like want to give up, Karabakh, <laughs> right? So uh, essentially, it, it has it has created a political crisis. The I believe the speaker of the parliament uh, was attacked uh, by a mob uh, in Yerevan. There have been constant protests. Mm-hmm. Uh, at one point, it looked like there might even be rumblings of a coup because Pashinyan didn't want to sign off on firing the defense minister and now we have early elections being called uh, for June 20th of this year.
0: Pashinyan is under uh, considerable threat there. No, I mean I mean Armenians want political change it feels like because this this last one was embarrassing. I mean they're didn't seem as if Armenia had any capacity to withstand if uh, if the conflict had continued. The, uh, it should be noted that there were long term geostrategic trends that were going against Armenia. Yeah. I mean, the, the only thing it had going for it was being a member of the Common Security and Treaty Organization. Uh, unfortunately for Armenia, with Nagorno Karabakh as contested territory, Russia is not treaty bound to right um, so, uh, speaking speaking of uh nationalist pressures within azerbaijan there were requests to just capture uh part of armenian territory proper just to, uh, would have have
1: basically been. well at that point yeah russia would have had to intervene because then otherwise csto would have just become yes it joke. was either <laughs>
0: either either intervene at that point or acknowledge that the csto means nothing and i guess have no alternative to nato yeah what what should be noted here is that there are domestic politics at play within Armenia and Azerbaijan. There's the cultural and ethnic identity of Nagorno-Karabakh. Both sides yes. are trying to de facto make it theirs. Uh, that's where the... I'll, I'll, I'll refrain from saying ethnic cleansing, but I'll just say the demographic change as sides <laughs> switch change. hands yes okay we um I'll, I'll let you speak to that if you'd like uh yeah
1: uh well i was also just going to say that there's pretty much domestic politics at play in all uh of these countries involved there's domestic politics in play like you said in armenia and Azerbaijan. There's domestic politics at play in uh, Turkey and Russia. There's domestic politics at play in Georgia. There's domestic politics politics at play in Iran, which supports who, ironically enough, supports uh, uh, Armenia. Uh, There's all this going on. Um, And one of the things that, that also people have to realize is that essentially what, what happens in what happens in Nagorno-Karabakh, especially in terms of domestic politics for the Armenians and the Azeris, will obviously come back to uh, either help politically or hurt politically. And that's going to be more for Armenia than it is for Azerbaijan because uh, unlike Armenia, Azerbaijan, I don't even know, like they don't even have contested
0: elections. Um, Yeah. There's a largely symbolic opposition. Right. Uh, Like
1: even in countries like Georgia, Turkey, like Armenia there's elections and whatever happens possibly in nagorno-karabakh could affect elections in Russia or Turkey even you could even say elections in Russia probably aren't even are, are also shambolic at this point but the point is uh, I think there's really there was really only one party that stood to lose uh, from this uh, and that was uh, that was Armenia. <laughs>
0: So there was a congruence of factors leading against them, and very few were in their favor. Besides the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe, yes, which was able to exert enough influence to end the conflict to keep Azerbaijan from pushing all the way. And now there is that peacekeeping force in place until 2025. And the question remains: What happens from there?
1: Right. What happens after twenty twenty five? Do we know when in twenty twenty five this peacekeeping force is supposed to expire, or is that date not even been set yet?
0: Um, I believe it is five years from the establishment of the peacekeeping force, which is so that would have been
1: yeah, it would have been like November of Nine. this this past year. So yes, twenty twenty. Uh, yeah. I mean. We can also talk about maybe how this is kind of a, I don't know, like a beginning of a hype. There's also kind of a hybrid information war aspect to this one, for sure. Um, You know, uh, obviously in Armenia and Azerbaijan, the narratives are heavily controlled. uh, So you kind of had to take both sides with what they were saying with a grain of salt. Uh, I remember that a lot. Um, There's also... At one point, the Armenian Ministry of Defense claimed that a Turkish uh, F-15 shot 16. down sixteen yes. shot down a Mig. Uh, I forget. Might have been a Sukhoi. I don't know. Uh, but then they just like never released proof of that. Um, there still hasn't been proof of that to this day. Like you'd think by now. Basically, there was this aspect where you know, it, it was kind of like what we saw with Russia's uh, annexation of Crimea and maybe even uh, the war in Donbass where it's just news was kind of made up to try and feed the narrative back home. Um, exactly.
0: Yeah, it was it was interesting for me to watch the, the conflict from uh, abroad because, yeah, like you had... Uh, Armenia claiming that Turkey had shot down one of its jets, which it didn't uh, end up providing evidence for. Uh, it did uh, catch uh, Turkish F-16s on the flight line of an Azerbaijani uh, airbase, which then Turkey had to withdraw those uh, after being, you know, caught with their hands in the cookie jar. <laughs> and did you? So I don't know if you use Facebook or Instagram, but on Instagram, Instagram, okay. Did you notice uh, on the like comment sections of any post by the U.S. Department of State, uh, European Union, NATO, NATO. OSCE, all the all the replies in the comments?
1: We're Armenian.
0: Or Azerbaijani. Yeah, but and yeah. and I, I'm I'm not the type of person who that hybrid information warfare would work on, but there was right. certainly a dimension of trying to influence of, yes. world opinion.
1: Yes, yes, and all of them were accounts that were made within the past. I when did this come? It started in like late September, and all of them were made in like from mid October. <laughs> um, so you know, it was pretty clear. Um, you know. Yerevan and Baku were trying to play the information game uh which is very interesting uh, it was very interesting um you know and like you you'd see these comments of like a bunch of you know like Armenian flags uh or a bunch of uh, like Azerbaijani flags and you know you'd kind of play along with it for a little bit but then you'd realize like wait there's so much of this like this can't there's no way this isn't like a um like there's no way this isn't you know backed by someone there's just there's just no way because there's just there was just so many of them i remember every comment section you'd go like under nato's posts you know because turkey's in nato basically just every comment even from what like every post even months from like years before this conflict this current conflict even started like you'd, you'd find just like tons of armenian flags and stuff like that uh and you just kind of tell like this is clearly I'm i'm sure some of it was legitimate but then a lot of it you could tell i mean like i said these these accounts are made from like oh they just happened to be made you know from two weeks ago like come on
0: well uh, in public opinion seems to be a new front in conflict. Yes. And I mean from even from a side to side perspective, uh, Azerbaijani attempts to weaken uh, Armenian morale were not only boosted by the by the facts on the ground, but even like online comment sections. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i
1: mean it's it's basically the um the like war essentially um mm-hmm. you know that uh that that goes on uh, online
0: yeah some um... uh, do you know it, it, how many people
1: sorry i don't mean to cut you off but do we know you know we've talked a lot about the geopolitics of this Russia can choose to back Armenia if it wants. Turkey obviously de- you know default sides with Azerbaijan, mm-hmm. Iran sides with Armenia, Georgias kind of in between and needs to keep good relations with Turkey uh, to be a transit hub, blah 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 blah. We talked all about this, right? We've talked about the information aspect to the conflict. There's a humanitarian aspect here though, you know. Um people lost their lives over this. Armenian soldiers, Azerbaijani soldiers lost their lives over this, civilians lost their lives over this. Do we know what what were the estimates for how many lives were lost uh in this recent, you know, span of violence?
0: Yes. The estimates are about sixty five hundred soldiers. Uh, and that's collective on both sides. Yeah. Uh with a skew towards Armenia. Uh Right. As they were losing, I mean, Armenian uh, uh, fighting vehicles, uh, armored vehicles took just an absolute beating by uh, Azerbaijani and Turkish drones. Uh, their positions were getting uh, shelled more heavily. I mean, that's, that's what losing a conflict is like. And as well as 150 uh, civilians, Okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm both... sure that number a lot higher. Just. Okay. Uh, um, I mean, ago, that's, that's what uh, Carnegie Center is saying.
1: I mean, a couple days ago, there was footage of the, the Azeris blowing up churches. Um, mm-hmm. Bellingcat had a good thing on it. Uh, they had a thread on that. Um, I kind of think 150 civilians. I mean, most of it, yeah, was taking place in a battlefield, but. You know what happens when a village falls under Azeri control or Armenian control? Uh, just kind of seems like don't get me wrong. There's definitely 150 civilians who died. I'm not disputing that. It just seems like there's probably more than 150 civilians who died. But regardless, I mean, it's tragic, just just
0: awful. Yes, the the effects of conflict go far beyond lives lost in in direct violence. The destruction wrought upon the region is palpable. uh, Yes. And there's now the struggle for, well, who's going to uh, handle humanitarian rebuilding efforts? Russia would like all the benefits of political influence and not having to bear that burden. And, you know, who, who's the loser in great power struggles of who has to manage redevelopment? It's going to be civilians. It's probably,
1: I mean, I don't even, are, like, are NGOs even allowed in this region at this point?
0: Uh, so yes, yeah, so that is unclear. Azerbaijan, for their part, has said that the only uh, the only foreigners are allowed in of karabakh are the Red Cross, and that anyone else will be uh, rejected. Russia takes a different position and is seeking to build, uh, rebuild roads connecting to Armenia to get uh, supplies and economic development uh, back in. Um, because if uh, the Azerbaijani blockade uh, goes through, the effects on quality of life um, will be immense. Right. I mean, you have how many people living in camps
1: now because of what just happened? I mean, got to be over a hundred thousand, I would think. Yes, uh,
0: Russia estimates that a couple hundred thousand people uh, fled the region uh, 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 during the conflict, and that about fifty thousand have returned so far. So
1: that's nuts. That's basically, you know not even a quarter of the people who fled. That's, you know, just nuts. Um, yes. Trying to find a way to end this episode on a good note. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Mm. There is one.
0: Um, um, well, there's no fighting currently.
1: Currently, that's
0: true. I guess that's. <laughs> I guess that's it, one thing. At some point in the future, the conflict will likely be resolved. And that point is probably far away. The next hard uh, decision point is 2025, when Azerbaijan and Armenia both have. Uh, vetoes on whether or not that uh, peacekeeping force continues. Armenia, unless the facts on the ground change materially, will uh, seek to extend it, right? And who knows what Azerbaijan tends to do?
1: I My mean, hunch would be they'd be in favor of nixing it, uh, because they obviously want the territory back. So, boy. Which then, once again, (laughs) leads to not positive conclusions, Um, man. Yeah, it's got to be one of the most depressing conflicts I think I've ever... I mean, every conflict is depressing. Let's not minimize that. But, man, this just seems like... It's just one of those conflicts, man, that you're just like, man, this is so... I don't know, like... You, you almost feel like just apathetic just reading about it because it's so depressing
0: I would potentially caution on that but yes born by civilians intractable limited access or capacity to resolve and it will just grind on any final thoughts besides that <laughs> uh, no um, I
1: agree completely um it's really it's really a shame um yeah i don't know
0: all right well with that we're going to call it a day on the podcast and thank you everybody thank you everyone have a good one